It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday edition of Locked On Raptors. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1119 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, February the 15th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And of course, you can subscribe to, follow, rate, review the show wherever you get your podcasts on all your favorite podcast platforms in audio form. And you can also go to YouTube and find the show on video as well. Please hit that big red subscribe button. Over 1,600 satisfied customers so far. Join the ranks and uh, let's push that towards 2k shall we maybe we make that a goal by the end of the month or something like that i i, I have no way to enforce this or incentivize it but please just help either way uh thanks for being here and thanks for making us your first listen of the day all right on today's show we have a stinker to talk about probably in my estimation the worst game the raptors have played all season long when you factor in both ends of the floor you know, they've had some other bad ones. That Pistons game a while back, not awesome. The Blazers game was certainly not great. Any great shakes a couple of weeks back as well. The opening night game against the Wizards come to mind, but that at least had like some defensive upside and flashes and some moments. This game had none of it, and it was a complete abandonment of the process by which the Raptors have put together this really, really excellent run of play, and I'll dig into why as we sort through the mess and pick up the pieces. I'm also going to talk about the center question and the situation there. That was a uh, topic that came up on Raptors internet during this game. And uh, look, I, I think it's boring, and I don't think that's the reason they lost this game. And I'll get to that in the show as well. Also run through some box score notes, and we will hand out the due to the game. It's going to be tricky to find one, but I did think of one, and I'm pretty excited about this one, actually. So we'll get to that in the back part of the show. All right, let's dive in, shall we, to the big takeaway from this game. And again, it is that the Raptors completely lost the plot that has gotten them to the point where they're 31 and 25 now. We're 31 and 23 at one eight in a row. We're in the sixth seed. That's not all gone by any means, but they're going to have to rediscover that formula because they completely lost it in this game. And there were so many different facets of it that fell apart. They didn't run at all. They got four points. Uh, sorry, they got uh, four fast break points in this game in total. That is not Raptors-like at all. And we've, we've been sort of trying to figure out this bizarro math problem the Raptors have been presenting us all season long where they're this borderline top 10 offense. Right now, I think came into this game eighth in offense despite not being the greatest half-court team, but despite not having a ton of guys who can create something out of nothing and really make the half-court sing 
And, you know, we've tried to figure that out all year. They've done it with offensive rebounding and they've done it with transition volume, just getting on the run as much as possible. They had the offensive boards tonight. They had 20 of those tonight. So good for them there. But they just did not have anything when it came to transition, which is obviously a really big part of how their bread is buttered. There were a few possessions here and there that really stood out. A third quarter one where after a long night of Gary Trent Jr. not hitting anything, Pascal Siakam looked him off in a two-on-one, went up, tried to get a call, did not get one. And that honestly, that possession in the third quarter really felt like the end for the Raptors, even though they were down 20 plus going into the second half. It was probably over to begin with, but man, that possession really stood out to me as sort of like the hallmark of what was wrong with this game. And I mentioned Gary Trent Jr. And I think for me, he was probably the biggest culprit behind the loss in this game. And I thought this was pretty comfortably the worst game he's played all season long. You could probably say as a Raptor. I know we had a couple stinkers in the back part of last year, but everyone had stinkers. It was garbage time. So in terms of games that actually matter, I think this was the worst we've seen Gary Trent Jr. play. And again, this doesn't mean Gary Trent Jr. is bad. That is his recent run of play is gone, poof, gone forever. You know, this is totally possible. This is a one-off and I would imagine that it will be, but you got to point out that this was a really, really rough Gary Trent Jr. game and it did not follow the process by which Gary Trent Jr., has been so valuable all season long. He really was playing outside of himself more than we've seen so far. And look, I love a gunner. I love gunner tendencies. I love people with no conscience. I love it when it's always gunner o'clock. But it was a little bit excessive for Gary Trent Jr. in this one. A lot of possessions where he did not really play within the flow of what the Raptors do, which is why he's been so successful all season long. You know, he gets so many opportunities in catch and shoots and really well set up and well crafted looks for him. In addition to those moments where he can pop and save a possession by creating something out of nothing. That's wonderful. That's beautiful to see. But when he's playing in a more sort of um, what's the way to put this uh, Jordan Crawford esque style that's where he's going to run into trouble because he's not the greatest finisher around the basket. He's not something. He's not someone who can create his own look every single time down the floor. He's not someone with playmaking acumen to help sort of offset the, 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 the way that teams guard his shooting and sort of prepare for that. He's not dicing you up with you know glorious pick-and-roll passing or anything like that. And so in a game like this where Gary Trent Jr. was – you know, kind of barreling in for drives into two or three guys and not really having a plan, putting up tough off-balance looks, nothing square. That's always been the thing with Gary Trent Jr. is that he shoots everything square. Not a lot of that in this one. He goes 2 of 15. He has just uh, six points on the night, a minus 25, 2 of 8 from downtown. And even with the three he made in the third quarter, uh, you know, didn't really spark anything because they were so far out of it. But he made a three in the third quarter. Even that was like, outside of the process by which you'd like to see Gary Trent Jr. get his looks. It was an early shot clock three. That's just not the best offense this Raptors team can run. And, you know, the process was totally just dismantled kind of from the outside in. You know, Pascal Siakam didn't have himself a great game. 18 points, five boards, just one assist, 7-19 to 19 shooting. It was a pretty tough one for him. He also got poked in the eye. It would be cool if he could get a single call. That's for another day. But... Siakam did not have a chance to really imprint himself on this game in the way he typically would because the guys he was setting up and the guys that his gravity were creating looks for just were not knocking anything down. Between Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, and Gary Trent Jr., they hit three 
triples in the entire game on what is the math here three of 20 between those guys all told five of 30 from the field it's just not going to work when those guys are not filling in shots and like that's probably as simple as this needs to be it was a a, a game where these guys did not hit their shots and that is difficult but i, I to overcome but i also think the process by which they got there was not awesome either and i think gary Trent jr was kind of the example for this i also thought in this game there was less siakam on the ball than you typically would like to see i think they were a little bit spooked by herb jones which hey that's fair herb jones is awesome and boy oh boy uh is he ever an example of why the raptors are probably smart to be like yeah we can pick in the the first part of the second round and be fine because a 35th overall pick herb jones is outstanding he's awesome and he's terrifying and he really kind of adds like a really mean bit of juice to this pelicans team that kind of needs it and he was someone i think the raptors were trying to veer away from and so they were trying to go after the cj mccullum matchup as much as they could they were getting Jonas switched on to fred a couple times and it actually worked in, in in that regard but as we've seen over the last couple months here the Raptors are at their best when Siakam is on the ball. Fred is away from the ball. And you've got guys like OG and Scotty and Gary Trent Jr. cutting or relocating for open threes. Just lost that process entirely in this game because I think they were a little spooked by the Herb Jones matchup and because they wanted to sort of go after that McCollum thing. And look, this Raptors team, their process is let's find matchups and exploit them. I just didn't know, like getting it out of Pascal's hands and the interest of, you know, sizing up that CJ Balanchunas pick and roll coverage, not exactly my favorite way of going about things because I think we've been proven here that when Siakam has the ball in his hands, good things are going to happen. And that just was not the case in this one. You know, there were some decent bench performances, I suppose. Chris Boucher, I thought, had a lot of energy off the bench, 15.7 boards. He was really good, 9 of 12 from the line as well. Uh, you know, he brought the energy. He brought the, the offensive board crashing with four of them to lead the team or tie for the lead with Ken Birch. You know, I thought Ken Birch was fine off the bench too. He did a pretty good job in the first half, actually, when Jonas Valanciunas was giving them some trouble. He subbed in, did a pretty admirable job kind of filling in there as the big man when Scotty Barnes was having some trouble. And then Thad Young, we'll get to him in the back part of the show. There's a team but uh, I thought he was pretty all right as well. But like, as we've seen, when the Raptors starters are not there, it's tricky to overcome. And, you know, we've talked about how there is more of a margin for error for this team lately, but that is totally wiped away when you have a five of 30 night from your two, your three, four and five options in your starting five. It's just, you can't get by with that. And then not to mention the defense in this game was also ass. Like it just was a, a really, really rough disjointed game on that end of the floor. They seemed really bothered by Valanchunas in a way that they just didn't seem as much bothered by Jokic on the weekend, which was a little bizarre. And they did a pretty good job against Jonas when they played the Pelicans and beat them just over a month ago as well. They sent doubles his way. I thought the Pelicans did a good job of kind of keeping Jonas away from spots where the Raptors could quickly double him. I thought they kind of had him in the middle of the floor. He was a bit of a dive man more often in this game, which you don't see a ton from him. They didn't really throw it to him in the post where that's just kind of being begged to get doubled. And, you know, the couple times where he did post up, they didn't send a double. They were just like, all right, OG or Scotty, guard him in single coverage. Probably not the best idea, especially with Jonas. Even if he's an improved passer, you want to try to collapse down on him and force him to make those plays and have it whip around. It's dangerous because there's lots of good shooters on this Pelicans team, you know, between Graham and McCollum and Brandon Ingram. It's terrifying stuff. And Herb Jones is pretty damn good, too. It, it just, I didn't love the way they kind of deviated from the way they typically would play a center like that with Jonas. They did not force him to make plays out of those uh, double team situations. And so again, 
lots of different things at play here for the Raptors falling in this one by 30 points. It just really felt like a deviation from what we've seen be the winning formula for the last little while. And probably a lot of it is just shooting luck, right? They got some open looks in the first half. By the time the second half came around, they were pretty out of it. It seemed like they packed this one in pretty quickly. Fred Van Vliet only plays 31 minutes in this one. Siakam plays just 33, pretty low minutes totals altogether because they gave on up, gave up on it pretty quickly. Just that first half really, really sewered them. And the third quarter as well was not terribly great shakes either. So again, the process, not there. Do I think it can come back? Absolutely, because they've been doing it damn well for a long time. Um, but just nothing that you typically would associate with this year's version of the Raptors on display in this one whatsoever. So we'll continue on here. We're going to dive into the center question and how the Raptors guarded Valanchunas and why I just don't think that's the reason to get upset here. We'll also run through a few more of our little box score notes from this game. And then we got the due to the game to hand out at the end. But first, let me tell you about our pals over at Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to your favorite Olympic coverage as well. You get all the info you might need. I should say, I used BetOnline last week. When the news came down that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. might be coming back soon for the Nuggets, I put down some money on the Nuggets to win the championship at plus 4,000, a 40 to 1 payout, baby. It's going to be raining uh, small, meager amounts of money here in the Lockdown Raptors studios if the Denver Nuggets win the title. Uh, so go to Bet Online if you want to be like me and also have it rain meager amounts of money. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at Bet Online. It is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, continuing on here with your first listen of the day. Running through the box score notes in this one, you know, lots of guys here, not terribly effective. I do want to start with Scotty Barnes, though, because his performance in this one really did kind of see things fall apart and kind of give way to the very quick to react, oh God, they need a center sort of conversation. He was rough in this one, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes was 2 of 10 from the field, uh, 0 of 2 from downtown, just five points. Missed all those floaters we were talking about, those shots he was hitting beautifully in that game against the Nuggets, showing off that sort of center skill set, not on display in this one whatsoever. He really struggled with the Valanchunas too, but I don't think their struggles against JV in this one and Scotty's struggles against JV suggest some sort of grand problem with the way the Raptors have gone about things. This is not news. And to me, it's kind of boring and low-hanging fruit to be like, well, they lost because they don't have a center. There were, as I just ran through, there were so many more reasons why the Raptors lost this game than their lack of a center to throw out there. They just had the guy who's been playing center for them play miserably in this one. And that's not been the case a lot because Scotty Barnes is really good and has had a wonderful rookie season. He's going to have games like this. He's 20 years old and it happens. I, I just don't think 
for me, the lack of you know a body to throw at Valanciunas is the reason they lost this one. Again, they didn't even do their 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 darndest to throw their full complement of defensive tactics at him, right? Like the, he just did not feel pressure at all in this one. And so to sum this up to, oh well, Jonas Jonas Valanciunas is tall, therefore the Raptors lost. It's just lazy to me. It doesn't really check out. You know, Jonas is like an inch or two taller than Scotty Barnes is. It's not, yes, he's thick, but guess what? Jonas is thicker than basically everybody else in the NBA, save for Embiid and Jokic. It just so happens they've played Jokic and Valanciunas in two straight games. So it feels like a stark problem with the Raptors that they don't have this bruising center. But again, I, I think the Raptors view this as this is how our team is built. We don't, we're punting on center until we find someone who can fit exactly what we want from that position, who has skill, who can handle the ball a little bit, who can, you know, range out and do the sort of scramble defensive thing, who can be that backline defender. That guy doesn't exist. That guy didn't exist at the deadline. They were never getting him anyway. And so it's just a silly, kind of lazy and boring thing to come back to to be like, oh, they lost this game because they don't have a center. That's just not true. They lost this game because they're third fourth fifth option shot five of 30 they lost this game because they played miserable defense start to finish they had no answer for brandon ingram no answer for valanchunas because they didn't actually deploy their typical tactics for the full length of the game and they didn't really like it just there's this thing too where it feels like you just kind of throw out what the other team does and it's all the one team that lost's fault the Pelicans played a hell of a game in this one. You have to give them a ton of credit. This is a team that's just kind of coming together. They just got McCollum. Who the hell knows what's going on with Zion? But this team looked on a string, and that front court of Ingram, Herb Jones, and Valanchunas is just big, man. And like Siakam was running into bodies and arms whenever he was trying to get in the paint. You know, OG was getting totally harassed and corralled around the rim when he was going up around the basket. He missed a putback. He missed a dunk. Like, and it's not because of, you know, poor dunk form. It's because they were hearing footsteps all night long from this Pelicans team. They were flying around. It was like a team of prime Gary Trents out there, just constantly in your face, nonstop, except a lot, lot way bigger than Gary Trent Jr. And so, yeah, this was a game where the Pelicans really showed that, hey, they're a team that can actually mean some business here. I, I think if they've learned to defend, it's horrifying for everybody because of the shot making they have on this team. You would assume Zion's going to come back at some point and just add that whole new le layer and level of uh, fright and terror for opposing defenses. Like, you have to tip your cap to the Pelicans here. And again, I think the, the center question is by no means the biggest thing that cost the Raptors this one. They lost this game because their best players did not play like their best players. And no center of any sort of ilk was going to change that in this one. No center was going to make OG take more than five shots and hit more than one of them. No, no center was going to get Gary Trent Jr. rounded back in and sort of filling in his role, filling in the gaps as opposed to becoming the central force of the offense for far too many possessions. No one was going to make Precious Achua not play a really, really rough game altogether. And, and you know, th that's, I guess, maybe the question here now is how do the Raptors approach this bench where, of course, all of the centers that they have are located on the bench and how do you deploy them is going to be a pretty interesting question here for Nick Nurse to tackle in this one. A few instances that the three center lineup at one point with Boucher, Birch and Precious Achua. Hope we never see that again. That was awkward and weird and just not enough shot making out there. Not enough space for Pascal to operate. I think they had Pascal and Fred out with that group. Just too much clutter in the middle of the floor for that one to work. 
But I do think it's an interesting sort of thing here to think about is how Nick Nurse is going to work in these centers as you go forward here, especially now that Thad Young's on the team. It's, it's a pretty fascinating question. I think they have most of the answers to a lot of the teams that are going to come across them. Again, Embiid, not doing much about him. Jokic, not doing much about him. Jonas, not doing much about him. Those are kind of the three guys that you're really, really worried about. Even Carl Anthony Towns coming up on Wednesday doesn't strike that same level of fear with the force and physicality he plays with. He's way more perimeter-oriented. Perimeter uh, if you ask Jimmy Butler, he's maybe a little softer. Uh, he's not quite like those guys who are just bears inside. And I think against most teams, the Raptors will be able to figure it out with this rotation of bigs. But how that rotation comes together is a little curious. And I do want to dive into that coming up in just a second as we dig into your dude of the game. Before we do that, however, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who make the best tasting protein bars money can buy. This is the time of year where you're trying to maintain those New Year's resolutions that you've already surely given up on, but you can still eat right. It doesn't have to be that you, you know, throw yourself into fully black and white, I must do this resolution or else it's all hell. You can just make incremental progress. That's what I do. I still eat some garbage from time to time. I had Burger King twice this last week, but that's okay because Built Bars are there for those times where you want to feel indulgent, but you also don't want to misbehave too much. So I highly recommend you get some Built Bars. Have a little stash of them. If you do get a little peckish at nighttime or whatever it might be, highly recommend you check them out. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories at minimum, plus 30 grams of sugar. That is a lot of sugar and dozens of net carbs. You get so many flavors to choose from. They all taste great. There's a fruity flavor. There's fruity flavors. There's chocolatey flavors. There's flavors in between. They have marshmallow puffs there's a million things for you to try out at built.com with limited time flavors popping up all the time like white chocolate cookies and cream which they have right now at built they are all about taste and they are making it delicious first then figure out how to make it healthy later but boy do they ever pull it off go to built.com use the promo code locked 15 get 15 off your order that's the promo code locked 15 for 15 off at built.com the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we round out your first listen of the day here with the dude of the game. And your dude of the game in this one is, of course, the newest member of the Toronto Raptors, Thaddeus Young, who, look, he wasn't, like, amazing in this game in his debut for the Raptors. He had a pretty meager showing altogether. Just 12 minutes, four points, four boards, an assist to steal, two of five from the field and a minus six. But... I want to talk about Thad A because I thought he looked pretty decent out there and showed some promise. And I'm interested by how they're going to work him into certain lineups. And also because I think he really kind of juices up this question of how the bench rotation is going to work. Obviously, the Raptors have some sort of inkling as to how it's going to work. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought in another six foot eight forward to throw into this mix. But it is going to be a pretty tricky puzzle here for Nick Nurse to figure out. That said, I liked what I saw from Thad Young in this one. 
I liked what he's what I saw, particularly playing off of Pascal Siakam. He had a nice his first bucket as a Raptor. Uh, he kind of leaked it into space, got a, a nice little pass from Pascal when he saw a couple bodies driving, and he put up a little floater. He's got this like bizarre kind of like underhandy shot put floater, which you like. It's fun, it's goofy, it's lefty. I like it a lot. And I just think Thad, you know, you see it, right? Chris Boucher comes in, chaos all the time, high energy, just bugging out. Precious Achua, very much the same thing. Ken Birch, a little bit less than that, but with him crashing the offensive glass so aggressively, he has been a bit of an erratic player this season. I think a little less stable maybe than he was last year when he was more of like a dive man and stuff like that. And you have Thad Young, who I think is more of sort of like the refined, chill, come in, just kind of feel out the game a little bit. And I think he did a pretty good job with it in this one. He feels like a guy who even as he's learning an offense that he doesn't yet know and a defense that he doesn't yet know, he still knows where to stand because he's just like, he's a 15 year NBA veteran. He just knows how it works and where his lot is going to be, how his bread is going to be buttered. And I think he did a really nice job of kind of being in the right spots to be that guy who fills in a space, gets a ball, continues the, the, the possession along with a nice pass or whatever it might be. You'd like to see him maybe pull the trigger a little bit more often. You had a couple, I thought, open three opportunities. That would be nice. He hasn't shot a ton of threes in the last little while, like none at all this year, and didn't really shoot many last year either, uh, and not for a high percentage. But he has in the past on the sort of medium volume been a bit of a near-average shooter. So I wouldn't mind seeing them kind of bust that out a little bit more from him and encourage him to take those shots more. But I do think just kind of as a guy who's floating around, filling in the gaps, getting those looks, collecting offensive boards as well, which is the thing that he really brings that was kind of his standout skill the last couple seasons in both Chicago and in San Antonio. Like, there's a spot for Thad on this team. And I really like the way, again, he plays off of Siakam. And I'm intrigued by the potential of him potentially close potential of him potentially good english sean uh closing in place of scotty barnes in some lineups you know i think more often than not they're going to close with barnes okay barnes is their guy he's the future he is they're they're giving him these heavy reps for a reason they've talked about it they've been deliberate with it he's going to close most games but i do think we've seen a couple games here where barnes has struggled i think they had boucher close for him a couple weeks back in a certain game i can't remember the exact one off the top of my head it was probably one of the ones where they played the same teams twice over the course of a week and a half either way i think in those games where scotty's struggling like tonight had this game been closer despite scotty's bad play i would have been intrigued by the idea of thad young being that small ball five because he does those small ball five things that are pretty useful. Again, he can be a short roll guy in the middle of the floor making reads from there, crashes the offensive glass. He knows where to be on defense. Like he, he's not going to be, you know, kind of corralling guys in the perimeter necessarily. He might be a bit of a blow by threat, but if he's standing near the rim, which is where they had him, had him lining up on defense for the most part in this one, I think he can kind of offer you that sort of, you know, as good a rim protection as a six foot eight guy can offer you. I think he can do that. He played some small ball five for the bulls last season. He has some experience doing that. I think that is a pretty interesting option considering what he does on offense. He's just a smart, connective player. And boy, do I love myself some connective players. Uh, I think Thad's going to be a fave of mine for that reason. I, I like the way he just kind of fills those gaps. And I think how he fits into these bench rotations is going to be fascinating. It's hard to even like envision what these lineups are going to be throughout the course of a game. You know, Nick Nurse has been so up and down with the way he's changed up his rotations, you know, even with some regularity lately where you know you've kind of known which guys are coming in you're still seeing kooky lineups and whatnot that you haven't really seen before you know he'll try gary trent jr with the bench he'll try pascal with the bench like he'll try both he'll try og it gets a little bit sort of mishmashy 
And I think Thad is going to be difficult to find those exact spots for him to play. But I do think like 12 minutes tonight, probably got to play a little bit more than that. I would not be upset with funneling a few of the minutes from Precious to him as much as Precious is one of those developmental pieces. If you're trying to make a push for the postseason right now and make good on your acquisition of Thad Young and the investment that you went into it, I think, you know, it's a worthwhile thing to try to see if you can amp up his minutes total just a little bit. Obviously, they're just easing him in in this game. Probably weren't going to get him 20-something minutes in this one. But if you can get him up to 18 or 20, I think that connective tissue is really nice for this Raptors team where, you know, they're they're smart. When they're actually playing their game and when their process is on like it was against the Nuggets on Sunday, like it has been for the most part over the last month and a half or so, I, I think there's a spot for Thad really within that flow that they like to play with that can be pretty exciting. I think he's a good little passer. And again, those little flip shots around the basket, they, the Raptors have courted the market on dudes who can put in flip shots from six feet. It's awesome. I love it. It's just just a delightful thing to watch. It's bizarre and weird. But again, I think, you know, getting that into these lineups here in place of pressures in some spots, playing him as a four, as a small ball five, get him in there with the stars of the team, you know, get him in there with Siakam, get him in there with Trent to play off of and use some dribble handoff action with him. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the avenue here. And I, I'm excited to see what can come. So due to the game, Thaddeus Young, again, not exactly a, a, a murderer's row of contestants. Chris Boucher had a really nice game uh, off the bench. He's probably won, but uh, we'll give it to Thad Young here. And uh, just one last thought here before we round out the show. So today it was announced James Harden was not playing in the NBA All-Star game as he's working on his hamstring and getting back and I think probably avoiding seeing Kevin Durant at the All-Star game. Because uh, who wants awkwardness? No one wants that when you're on vacation. He's just going to go hang out and fix his hamstring, and that's cool. Jared Allen gets named as the replacement for Pascal Siakam. And look. I don't want this to become a denigrate Jared Allen fest because Jared Allen's awesome and probably should have been in the all-star game. Like he's that good. It's the home crowd thing. I get it. The Cavs having two all-stars at home is cool. If we were in a similar situation as Raptors fans, we would be saying, Hey, it's home. You should get two Raptors in the game. It's, it's fine. It's cool. Obviously this comes down to Chris Middleton who should not be there, who has just not been an all-star this season compared to the other guys on the list. And it's unfortunate that the way it has gone, I just want to give one last sort of uh, plea to remember or recall just how freaking good Pascal Siakam has been this season and how deserving of an all-star spot he is. And really, it's an acknowledgement, the Jared Allen admission, the Chris Middleton admission, all of this, it's an acknowledgement that the all-star game is not a thing to be basing legacy discussions on. It's not a thing to say, oh, well, these are the 24 best players in the NBA this year. It's a collection of... 24 of the best-ish players, the best 35 or so players who fit certain caveats in that they've played enough games and that they play on teams that have won a certain threshold of games and that they play on teams that are well-balanced enough in terms of uh, who also has all-stars to make the overall complexion of the all-star roster make some sense. It's a silly bit of caveats. Pascal Siakam should be an all-star. He has been one of the most positive win driving players in the nba he's playing like an mvp tonight well notwithstanding it was a pretty rough run for him overall hope his eye is okay he got poked pretty hard there um but he's been playing like an mvp over the last eight weeks or so since the start of december frankly he's been that good i have no idea how much time that is is that even longer than eight weeks it's like 10 weeks he's been that good for this long that i'm losing track of how long he's been good for which might just mean that this is just what he is he's just good now he's just this level of awesome and he's clearly been an all-star. He's been 
probably like the fourth best player in the Eastern Conference on balance overall. It's silly he's not there. But as long as we're not using the All-Star game as some sort of barometer of who the good players are, and we're actually using All-NBA and you know the season-long numbers that guys are putting up as the actual sort of explana- explanations of what these guys are and how good they are, then it's fine. Enjoy your vacation, Pascal. He's been one of the 24 best players in the NBA this season. He's been one of the 12 best players in the East. That's all easy. That's academic. And uh, yeah, hey, maybe Zach Levine is going to be out of the All-Star game and there'll be another replacement, in which case Siakam 100% should be the guy. If not, I don't know what the hell's going on. Either way, that's my last sort of soapbox on it. I will not mention Pascal Siakam for All-Star again. We've officially turned the page to Siakam for All-NBA propaganda later on this week. But with that, we'll leave off today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, yeah, I mean, this game sucked. I don't know how I talked about it for 30 minutes, but here I am. Uh, <laughs> and uh, hopefully never have to talk about this one literally ever again. I hope to forget it and maybe pull up the box score in 10 years time and laugh at how funny it was that your eventual three-time NBA champion Toronto Raptors uh, had a game this bad against the Pelicans because, oh boy, it was a stinker. With that, we'll wrap it there. Uh, We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, James Herbert's going to pop on the show. We are going to handicap the race for the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference between the Celtics, the Raptors, the Nets, kind of the three teams, and then maybe there's a team above they can catch, the Cavs, the Sixers, anybody? We'll get to that on Wednesday with old Jimmy Herbs from CBS Sports on Wednesday. Uh, And then, yeah, later in the week, games to recap, et cetera. The Wolves game we'll talk about on Thursday. We'll probably take a look at an All-Star on Friday as well. That should be a lot of fun. But until then, thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on NHL, and in particular, Olympic Hockey Daily with Rachel Donner and Ann Kimmel has been a wonderful, wonderful way to keep up with the Olympic hockey tournaments. They're staying up to watch these games so you don't have to. I highly recommend you support what they're doing over there on the Locked on NHL YouTube page and on all your favorite podcast platforms. As always, free and available wherever you get your shows. All right, with that, We'll wrap it there. We'll talk to you again Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.